You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to 3AM. 3AM. 3AM, where we discuss and dissect the supernatural. What's the scariest thing you've encountered? That's been one of our favorite questions for years. 3AM is the result of asking this question over and over again. Stories we share are typically sourced from those we know, our listeners, or personal experience, the validity of which can be determined by you, the listener. While we might not have all the answers, we find the culture and lore surrounding paranormal events and unnatural occurrences fascinating. We hope you enjoy. We hope you enjoy. We hope you enjoy. Welcome to the 3AM Podcast. My name is DJ. My name is Charlie. My name is Sean. We have a full house tonight. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have our friends. Sound off. Anna, Emmy, Mallory, Will, Amanda. Welcome, guys. We're back after a few weeks. Of not recording. We were in Seattle. We were in Portland, southern Utah, taking a little break. So. We went over to Portland, MJ and I, first. And the the idea was everyone was going to meet up and we were going to go up the coast to Seattle and just hang out. I've never been to Seattle. I have. You have? Have you ever been? Sean, you were born in Washington? Yeah, I'm from there, bro. Dude, we get there. First of all, I've never been. Seattle is the most beautiful place I've ever been. Like Anacortes. Up north, and the best food I've ever had in my entire life. <laughs> we found this Thai joint like a block away from my Airbnb, and we ate there like four times. One time, usually three I'm, times in a day. Usually, I'm not about that. <laughs> and when traveling, because I want to try as many new places as possible. I was gonna say, let's talk about the Airbnb real quick. The Airbnb looked nice. On, but online looks so dope. It's a pe- <laughs> penthouse, like a uh, jacuzzi. Jacuzzi, pool, Ooh. views of the Space Needle. Or nice. Is that what it's called? Yeah. 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 Yep. Nice gym. All of that. The works. Oh, three bedroom. Sleeps 10 comfortably. We're like sick. Two stories. There's like a loft. <laughs> we show up. It's two bedrooms. Sleeps four comfortably. One of the bedrooms was a closet that you had to do a blow up mattress in and it just filled the entire closet. Yeah. Like you could I don't think you could like open and close the door. <laughs> no. It was we were like what? Stuck the? my girlfriend in that room. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. We basically did a food tour of Seattle. We tried to eat f- at the minimum four meals a day. So we had breakfast right when we woke up, a snack, then we had lunch, then we ate dinner at 4. And then another a second dinner, dinner like late at night, eight, yeah. eight or nine. Yeah, dude, this is Mary and Pippin right now. <laughs> yeah, what <dude. laughs> about second dinner? It like yeah, a- it's beautiful. Seattle's so so nice. I love it. Anyway, I love it. I love it. We were all having so much fun making like memories that will last forever. Wow. <laughs> and then, uh, Sean, what were you doing? I was having <laughs> so much fun making memories that will last forever. <laughs> all by yourself. With who? Or, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. It was uh 
making new friends with the Airbnb I stayed at. Oh. But where'd you go? <laughs> Down you in do? Cedar City. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I just was like, yeah. Screw this. I have nothing to do right now and drove down and looked for an Airbnb on my way. So Sean was supposed to come with us, but then things happened at work, new hires. So he was like, I have to stay. Yeah. So he stayed and then got so bored sitting here alone. He just <laughs> left to Southern Utah <laughs> um, and randomly found this Airbnb. And then the next day just drove out into the woods. <laughs> went hiking. Went hiking. So cool. you ended up going to caves. Okay, yeah. So for those of you who have seen the Instagram story, I was headed out of Cedar City going east up into the mountains. So we gained like 4,000 feet in a matter of 30 miles. Mm. And so I decided to keep going, see this side road. I'm like, you know, I'm going to check that out, go off on the side road. And then the next one just happens to be a dirt road. So I head off onto this dirt road and I'm looking at this map like on my phone and something pops up. It says caves. What? And I was like, what? There are caves out in the middle of nowhere. So I drove over to them. Nobody's around. So I hop out of the car and like head over to these caves and random lava tubes out in the middle of Dixie National Forest. Wait, wait. It was on the map. It just said caves? It said mammoth caves. Oh, mammoth caves. Yeah, yeah. So So you didn't go there with the intention of going to those caves? No. That's crazy to me. (laughs) Randomly stumbled upon them Hmm. from Google, but then just like went down into them and followed them until they ended and then went the other way until it popped back out. Dude, that's crazy. They they, they seem pretty big like in the video. Oh yeah. They were pretty big. Hmm. Went for, I was probably in there for a good 10 minutes or so. Hmm. Got to the point where I was like crawling along like the rocks to get to, cause I could see the light and I was like, I'm not going back. (laughs) I can make it. So I like crawled out the other way and it was probably like this much room at one point. It was Dang. like a foot and a half of wiggle room. That's freaking wild. That's a no for me, though. <laughs> I can't breathe in caves. There's like no air. You can't breathe out of caves. <laughs> I can't breathe. <laughs> uh, I gained, Where's my inhaler? Yeah. <laughs> I gained like 12 pounds in Seattle. Okay, not really. I gained like eight pounds in Seattle. See, but, but that that's how you know you're doing a trip right. I know. Is you just feel full. Dude, habitually full. I was not not full. Wait, I was not. not full. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think we uh, figured it out just a couple of years ago. After traveling for years, we figured out like our favorite trips have been the ones with like the best food. So we've always tried to make it a point to seek out good food. Okay, one time, Sean, I don't know if I've told you this yet, freaked me out. We were in... Our little Airbnb in between meals, like changing and just getting ready. I'm upstairs in our room. I'm getting dressed. I walk out and I'm pa- I pass Mal's closet. <laughs> and as I pass, I see her sitting on the bed in the dark. And it kind of looks like she's looking at a phone. And I step past and I stop and I look back. No one's sitting on the bed. <laughs> and instantly the hairs go up on the back of my neck. And I like run downstairs real quick, like looking behind me. And then Mal's just sitting there on the couch. And I was like, uh... <laughs> I know it sounds stupid, but in the moment, it freaked so me out. So your Airbnb was also haunted. I don't know. Or I'm just dumb and tired. And maybe I was like, had a food high or something like that. Dude, those are the best kind. But all in all, thanks for being patient with us listeners. We took a week off. We appreciate it. We went, did our thing, but we're back now. Anything else for the listeners? It was kind of crazy going to Portland and Seattle because I know they were hot spots during like the riots and everything last summer. And Portland still boarded up. Like, most of the city is still boarded up. 
almost a year after everything was going on. Oh yeah. So it's like we didn't get to do too much. Add COVID on top of that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I mean, our activities were kind of limited, which is fine and understandable. Hmm. But it was just kind of crazy to see that they were still kind of feeling the repercussions of that. Well, even in Seattle too. In Seattle, we went shopping at like the Nike, the North Face, and stuff like that. And I was like, dudes, and I showed him a video. We're standing in the North Face building, and it's a video of like a hundred people running through. Not one thing is on the shelves. The windows are smashed. It's like on fire. They're like, grab it, grab it, go, go, go. People are just like grabbing, and it's like the building. We're Meanwhile, we're like, oh, 40% yeah, off. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Being actually shopping, paying for yeah. stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, but on the day I left in Portland, they burned down another building, so it's still popping off. Like they haven't stopped. That's wild. And that's that. <laughs> no, no, it's not. There's more. Okay, so we got back about a week ago, and my hair's been getting long. I haven't cut it for two years. So, have you felt different, like stronger? <laughs> uh, not at all. Uh, <laughs> You're on the contrary. Yeah. Um, I went to go get a trim this week for the Whoa. first time. Just a couple inches. My hair's all damaged and, you know, just trying to get it back to health. And my girlfriend's getting cut too. So we go together to her friend who she, who she usually goes to. We'll just call her Jane. Hmm. And Jane has like a salon in the basement of her, her parents' house in a town called American Fork. Super white town. And <laughs> she comes down. Is that important to the story? Yeah. <laughs> yes, it is important to the story. Um, we, oh, let me think of the best way to tell this. I need you guys to tell me if this is smart or not. So I get off of work late. I'm meeting up with my girlfriend who's getting her hair cut by Jane, and mm-hmm. I'm getting my hair cut right after. Mm-hmm. So I pull up to this neighborhood. I've met Jane once. It was like one of the first things my girlfriend and I did together before we haircuts? were official. Wait, what? <laughs> Get your haircuts together? No, we, we went to a concert, oh. invited Jane and her her husband. Uh. It was before we were like officially dating. Um and that was the last time I had I had met them. Mm-hmm. So that's like over a year and a half ago. Summer of 2019. So, it's been a while. So, I'd never been to their house, her parents' house. I see my girlfriend's car. So I knock on the house that she's parked in front and in front of, and out comes this old dude. And it's nighttime already. And I'm like, is this the Jane Doe residence? He's like, I don't know who that is. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, thank you. <laughs> so I move to the next door over. I'm calling Mallory. No one's answering. And I, I'm walking up to this house, and she, she calls me back. And she's like, oh, it's the house, like, on the left of my car. Just walk in. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Oh, hell no. <laughs> <laughs> I just got a pass to walk into the house. So without even thinking, I just accept it. And I'm like, cool. So I open the doorknob. Open the door. I turn the doorknob, <laughs> open the door, walk in, shut it, and I'm feeling real good. Oh, no. And I take about five steps into the house. Oh, my god! And this door swings open. And it's this dude who I've never seen before. And he's looking at me and I'm looking at him and the confidence that I was feeling <laughs> left immediately. Hello, Jane. And, and I, I wish I was exaggerating, but the life kind of flashed before my eyes, dude. 
as he slowly raised his AR. No, no, no. Well, he closes the door and he locks the door I came into. Oh. And he has his hand behind his back. And I am stumbling over my words. I'm like, uh, I can't remember Mallory's friend's name. I'm like, is, is this a. He can't like, remember your name? Who are you? I don't know. I don't know. He's like, who are you? I, was like, I can't tell you. Um, Sir, I don't know. And he still has his hand behind his back. And I'm pretty nervous. And I'm just thinking, like, what's going to happen? A million things are flying to my mind. I'm like, is that a taser? Or is it a, an actual gun? I don't know. Or is it he just playing? <laughs> um, anyway, he's like, who are you here for? I'm like, uh, does your daughter cut hair? <laughs> He's like, yeah, she's, here in the, for your daughter. she's in the basement. <laughs> I was like, uh, they can hear me because I have them on speakerphone. Oh, they're like, run, DJ, run. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot that when I walked in, I yelled out. I was like, hello. Like, can you guys hear me? Yeah. And they're like, no, we can't hear you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, he like shows me downstairs to the basement. And I was like, I'm just taking this dude's word that his <gasps> yes, daughter is in the basement cutting way. hair. <gasps> Yeah. Bro. <laughs> but it is the right place. And I get down there. So was he just scratching Jane, his ass? What was behind his Jane, back? Jane, I don't know. <laughs> Jane is already on the phone with her mom, who was in the room with who, dad that he came out of. And I could hear her saying, like, who's that man? Like, do, do you know who it is? We're so scared. <laughs> oh, my God. So here's an idea. Maybe warn someone. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe coordinate a little. I should have knocked. No, not you. I'm talking her. I don't know. Jane. You're going to get people killed. <laughs> yeah. I was like, is this what white privilege is like? You just walk into people's houses all Hello. confident? I'm here. I don't know. Uh, that could have been terrifying. Like, that could have been yeah, really man. bad. <laughs> I was, like, stumbling over my words the rest of the night. Because she sat me down, put me in my cape. <laughs> Just sitting there looking at myself like, uh, in the mirror. She's talking to me. I'm not responding. Like, I'm thinking about died. what happened. Yeah. And uh, she's like, okay, come over here. We're going to wash your hair real quick. And I'm not responding to her. And Mallory's like, that's you. Go and wash your hair. <laughs> so you were shook, dude. I kind of was. Jeez. I How are you was. feeling now? Are you finally like, I feel down? better. I think. I don't want to go to that neighborhood again. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, when you knocked on the first door and the guy opened it up. I was going to say, he said something like, oh, I got no, no, another doorbell ditch or something, because yeah. it was dark out. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> uh, He's like, who's there? Yeah. <laughs> You're like, uh, hi. <laughs> it is me. <laughs> the night. Um, dude, that's terrifying. And reckless. Bro, I was just a thinking reckless. of that movie, Don't Breathe. With so was I, dude. guy. Straight dude. up. Like some terrifying old Marine. Yeah, he had the turkey baster behind his, <laughs> yeah. behind his back. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, yeah, you're going to give me child. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's fun. Real quick. Have you guys ever had a story told back to you about you and it be wrong? Like someone's like, yeah, this happened to you, right? And it's completely wrong. <laughs> I mean, I feel like all the time, but my memory's kind of janky. So I thought so. When I was in eighth grade, this dude uh, was subbing for our class and he was really cool. He was like. Showing us all these pictures out of how he was like Mr. Hawaii, like <laughs> in a speedo, and he's all ripped. And yeah, all that the, sounds real cool. Yeah. 
Sounds like you were being groomed, dog. <laughs> and uh, um, he's like chumming it up with all the dudes and the girls. Oh. Okay, never mind. Not cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I don't know how it got to this, like the subject of religion. His pants are up. But he found out. <laughs> yeah. He's like, what, <laughs> what God do you pray to? <laughs> uh, and uh, he found out I was Mormon. Uh-oh. I'm like the only Mormon in class. And in front of the whole class, he's like, oh, yeah, you guys pray to Joseph Smith. And he wrote the Book of Mormon because there were rocks in a hat. And I had never heard of that before. Like, You're racking your primary that's brain. True. Yeah. <laughs> that's not true. Pointing at him. Dude, I was so wrong. <laughs> but does that, does that relate? <laughs> Is that like sort of what you're saying? Very similar. Is that, is that the same thing? Except for I realized that the story being told back to me was because that's how I told them the story. Oh, so you lied. And I neglected the details. Oh, my God. <laughs> and it was my mom telling me a story. <laughs> she was like, you remember that one time where you and your friend were at scout camp and you were hiking in the dark and you got this feeling to turn around? And then you went back the next day and found out you were like right next to a cliff. And I was like... I don't think I've told you that real story. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, so what really happened was me and a friend were out hiking at scout camp and I slip in the mud and start sliding down this ravine and catch onto this tree on the ledge. And my friend who also had just dislocated his kneecap was hobbling behind me, like hobbles, like grabbing onto a tree as he's like coming down to me. He, like, hands me his broken leg, and I, like, lift myself back up. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> and then we look over the side of the cliff and realize it was a 50 to 60-foot drop. So you could have died. And I was like, but, Mom, your story sounds way better. You should probably only relay that one to people. Bro, I've sat in the other room when Sean and I were roommates, and I've listened to Sean torment his mom for, like, an hour, where she's like, He's telling her he's about to go do something super dangerous. And she's like, Sean, please don't. And he's like, ah, it's too late. I already, I already bought tickets. Like, I, I can't remember what you're doing when I'm just sitting there like, stop hurting this woman. <laughs> or he'll just tell her, like, what was it about weed? I don't know. Lies. Yeah. Dude, yeah. Sometimes I remember, I remember there being lots of conversations of me, like, trying to go visit just so I could pick up some weed on the yeah. way there. <laughs> and your, your sweet mother is, like, trying to talk you back and help you be a good kid. You're just, so... In retrospect, those stories are not true because I told them that way, but it was still weird to hear. Yeah. And I was like, Mom, you should probably, like, if you tell people, tell them the morally uplifting story. <laughs> That's funny, dude. On a slightly similar but different note, uh, <laughs> I forget that we have a podcast sometimes and yeah. that it's broadcasted to the world. <laughs> yeah. Constantly, like, friends, family. Sometimes new people I meet who have listened to the podcast and are all caught up. Like, I forget that we just volunteer information here because we're in my bedroom mm-hmm. with my friends. Yeah, so then we just press, like, an upload just, button and then that's We're just it. chopping it up. Yeah. And then, yeah, we send it to everybody in the world. And I forget that. So some pe- sometimes people will come to me and be like, dude, how's your ankle? <laughs> or I heard about your girlfriend getting stung by the jellyfish, dude. <laughs> what an idiot. And you're like, excuse me, who are you? Yeah. <laughs> you just give me my sandwich or something? Yeah. <laughs> ordering uh i get hell awkward bro when someone brings it up i'm like no we're good i'm good no uh-uh like, i just don't want to talk about it i don't know why like i'll talk about the logistics but not like me in the in the podcast you know what i mean yeah dude 
I'm gonna have to get over that. Dude, I automatically start going to embellishment and just like, <laughs> oh yeah, that was the craziest thing. <laughs> okay, I gotta tell you something. I gotta confess something. I'm low key bitter about. <laughs> I'm just kind of struggling with internally. I have yet to be recognized, <laughs> <laughs> and it hurts. <laughs> Sometimes I'd be walking around. I think overlooked. someone might be looking. <laughs> And they don't look. They don't say anything. I'm like, damn it. <laughs> but so far, Sean's been recognized by a random. DJ's been recognized by a couple randoms. I've you were like, a couple too. Oh, cool. So even more than one. <laughs> Meanwhile, me. So I, I think I'm just going to uh, drive to like Provo and walk around and <laughs> walk down the street you until someone hunks. Wearing a 3 a.m. t-shirt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. yeah. A name tag. <laughs> Elder. Are you Charlie? I'm like, yes. How did you know? Side note. Emmy was the one, or Anna and Emmy was the one, invited us to, like, dinner. Uh-huh. And, like, <laughs> all of their friends had listened to the 3M podcast because they, like, have been gassing us up for a while. So it was, like, Matt, and when you like, walked in? Ten people. <laughs> <laughs> I was so caught off guard, and I, it was, it's so, it was fun, but I hell? hated it. I don't know. What, what was it like? Do you remember what was it? You were making pizzas in we your backyard. And everyone, like, treated so well. Everyone was really nice. Wow. Super nice. And I was like, oh my gosh, your voice. Yeah, exactly. Your voice. It's my. Yeah, and I was me. like, so disappointing, like visually, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. But with that voice. Cool. Anyway. I just had to get that off my chest. Thank you all. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's hard, bro. Life's, can, life's hard. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so if you see me in the wild, come say hi. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Come and bow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Don't look me in the eye. Bow. And we're good. Dude, do you want to get into stories? Let's do it. All right. Now we roll our 20s out of die to determine in what order we tell our stories. Highest number goes first. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. <sighs> I have benefited from therapy in a way that it's allowed me to feel a lot more light, lightness in my heart, my head, my emotions. If that's something that you're needing, if that's something that's missing, uh, give therapy a try. Give BetterHelp a try. Uh, We want to hook you up um, by getting it off your chest. Uh, and it'd be a little lighter on the wallet, uh, go ahead and visit betterhelp.com slash 3am and you can get 10% off your first month. Again, that's betterhelp.com slash 3am. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. We all roll. Read it, Sean. Charles with a one. DJ with a 12. Me with an 18. So it goes Sean, me, Charles. Cool. 
in the order that we're seen in public. <laughs> All right, so that's me. So my first story. <laughs> Go ahead. So my first story comes from a listener submitted. They didn't actually put their name on it, though. It was marked N.A. They said they're from Oregon and that this story was for the guy who lived in Oregon. That's you. So I assumed it was me. <laughs> I was just across the river. But um, her and a friend were headed out of Portland one day to go down to the Bagby Hot Springs. Hmm. Now, you may have seen them like on Instagram. I had a picture pulled up for you actually real quick. They're pretty like uh, popular as like a tourist destination out there. This is like these hot springs just out in the middle of Ooh, like the forest. That's pretty. And they that's have sick. like this structure built out there that also has like these little like indi- individual like pools in it. Mm. And those are all hot springs. Like is wooden it, hot tubs? Yeah, just like wooden hot tubs, but they're from the hot springs in the area. Mm-hmm. Is it open to anyone? Yeah. So they have like the private pools. They'll also have the public pools, but they're also like covered by these awnings, kind of like you were seeing in the picture. So it's about a couple hours outside of Portland. So her and her friend were headed out there, and it was winter time. They're going, like, pull a Kevin right now to head out to the hot springs in the middle of a blizzard. <laughs> they take the couple hours drive and eventually get to, like, the dirt road that starts com- coming closer to the parking lot. And there's, like, a tree that's fallen over the side of the road. She says that, like, her tiny little car was able to, like, get around the tree. <laughs> I've been I, there. I was like, I've been there, too. <laughs> But, like, she said a truck or, like, a van wouldn't have been able to make it. So she, like, gets through, makes it to the uh, parking lot, and there's, like, a ton of cars there that are all these smaller cars or whatever. And then they start hiking out to the uh, hot springs. And she said it's, like, a mile and a half probably. Mm. But it's fresh snow, ice on the trail as well. And so they're hiking out there. She says at one point she just eats it and just, like, lands right on her tailbone, just bruises it. So she's like slightly upset at this point, but they continue on. They make their way to the hot springs. You can just soak in the hot spring. Yeah, so you're good. Uh, that was that was her plan. She uh, heads to the hot springs with her friend, Daryl, because his name was in the story. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you in particular. Yeah. She's like, no, thank you, but Daryl. But Daryl. Um, so they make it to the hot springs, and there's a ton of people that are there. Because, like, all the people who were parked at the parking lot. And all of the pools are, like, full. So the privates have people in them. All the public ones have people. So they just kind of stand there to wait for one of them to open up. And it's as they're looking around that she notices something weird. There's these two guys who she described as kind of normal-looking, middle-aged kind of white guys wearing jeans, North Face like jackets, but they both had assault rifles with them. That's not like a casual detail. You're like, and also. (laughs) But also, they had the – so the thing that was weird, though, is that they were using these assault rifles almost as if you would use like an ice scraper on your car. Okay. They were like using the butt of the rifle to scrape the snow (laughs) off of these awnings that are above the pools. That's a Saturday in Russia. Yeah. (laughs) It's poor gun safety, dog. Yeah, no. There's a lot of red flags going on right now. Um, Right as they like notice this happening, one of the pools opens up. They like head over to that to get away from whatever was going on. 
she says that they stayed there for like an hour, hour and a half, just soaking in the hot tub and even had like a beer, but she didn't, she said she wasn't drunk. Mm. Very, very clear. Not that, not that drunk. After about an hour and a half, they decide to take off. They make their hike back towards the parking lot. And she says with about a half mile left in their hike, she gets this feeling that they're being watched. And this feeling is worse with the thought of what they had just seen earlier. She taps Daryl on the shoulders like, I feel like someone's stalking us. Daryl turns around. He's like, yeah, probably. Just the worst Cash. thing you could answer to that. And she has this feeling the rest of the way to the parking lot. Nothing happens. But once they get in their car and start driving, um, she mentions it's kind of out in, the, out in the middle of nowhere. So no reception, doesn't have music going in the car. So she basically just falls asleep as soon as they start heading off. And a few minutes into the drive, or a few minutes she thinks into the drive, Daryl is like, whoa, did you see that? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> she wakes up, and she's like, see what? And he just kind of shrugs it off. He's like, oh, there's nothing, there's nothing. They keep driving for a minute or two, and then all of a sudden the light or the sky flashes with this bright light. And it's a split second. So it goes on and off. And she turns to Daryl. She's like, is that what you were talking about? And he's like, yeah. What do you think it was? And they start, like, thinking of all these things that it could be, like, fireworks. And they're like, no, we didn't hear any sound with it. And they think maybe guns. Like, no, we also would have heard a sound with it or something. But it was this quiet, just bright flash that just lit up the sky and then instantly went away. It happened one more time on their drive on this kind of dirt road, those heading back to the main road, they could never figure out what it was in her opinion. And I want to put this up for discussion. Yeah. She thinks that the two guys were mimics and they didn't know what they were doing. They didn't know what they had because of how they were using the weapons they had. And then the fact that she was also, she felt like that she was being stalked and even the light, she, she thinks it was all otherworldly. Hmm. This is her experience, but she still has no explanation for it, though Daryl says it was nothing paranormal. He's not <laughs> he's he's the hard skeptic, even though he can't explain it. Hmm. Still doesn't believe it's paranormal. So that was their story. What do you think? Dude, instantly. How loud do you think that is? The wind? <laughs> oh, that's oh, the wind. I thought he was like screwing. Instantly I think of men in black and UFO stuff. Is that what you thought? Uh, when he said the men in black. flash, yeah. What are the, the thing that erases there? Oh, snap. I thought you were just giving me a mad thumbs up or something. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, me too. <laughs> I'm doing good. Uh, no, because like in so many accounts of people interacting with UFOs, either before or after, weird Germanic-looking men will show up. Yeah. Sometimes like hairless and stuff like that. And they'll be acting weird. They won't be acting in normal human manner. And uh, they're just there. They'll ask questions or they'll just survey or be creeps and then just take off. But instantly when you said a flash of light, I was like, okay, this is a way different story than I thought. Well, and it, it still could fit that though mm -hmm. because like you have the weird men and black people who were acting hella weird with their guns. Hmm. Maybe there was a flash in the light or a flash in the sky that was, I don't know, UFO. Like I feel like that could be a thing. I don't know, dude. I've never heard – the only other thing I've heard is like – the devil can appear as 
an angel of light. But other than that, I don't know any th- other thing that like necessarily manipulates light. You know what I mean? Yeah. Other than like UFO. I don't know. Their guess is as good as mine. So with your description, oh, I have another story. Shit. So this story comes from. I kind of like the howls of wind. Yeah, totally. It kind of sounds <laughs> creepy, dude. This story comes from a guy named Izzy. Or isn't he? Izzy or isn't he? He lives in Poughkeepsie, New York. Hmm. So um, Izzy lives in Poughkeepsie with his girlfriend, her mom, and like baby sister. And late one night, he says, like for some reason, everyone was still kind of up. It was 1 a.m., but the dog gets like this, gets restless to like go outside and like go pee or something. And it's his job in this situation to take the dog out or walk the dog and stuff. Even though it's early in the morning, he decides going to have to go and do it. Hmm. So he heads outside and he describes it as dark and slightly foggy. So it's in Poughkeepsie right next to the Hudson River. So it's probably bringing in a little bit of fog from that. They head out on this walk and he doesn't leash the dog up. He's like, it's late. There's no one else around. I'll just let the dog kind of wander. So the dog is a little bit in front of him and they get to a bridge that's going to cross the Hudson River. Hmm. And he says it's like a mile or so long bridge. So this is a long, long bridge. Sorry, is he on foot? Yeah, he's on foot. He's just walking the dog. Before they head out on the bridge, the dog stops, pees, and as he's like petting the dog afterwards, all of a sudden, on the other side of the road, kind of coming from the bridge, they hear a... And the dog instantly kind of looks at it, like tilts its head. And it's foggy, so they can't really see much. And they hear it again. This time, Izzy, just kind of like messing around, decides he's going to copy it to try and mess with the dog. So he whistles, and the dog looks back at him. And then they hear the come from up above the bridge on his side of the road now. The dog, like, tracks it with its head, just, like, looking directly up at the bridge now, like, trying to figure out what's going on because it's hearing it in three different places from him and then the other side of the road. Then the whistle goes back to the other side of the road, but this time it's closer. You think it's multiple people? I don't know. How how high up did he say? Well, it was a big bridge, so it must have – he doesn't say, hmm. but it must have gone up 20, 30, 40 feet. Hmm. But he didn't see what it was. It was still foggy. So after he hears it, though, back on the other side of the road, it's bouncing back and forth. He decides they're going to get the hell out of there. So he, like, grabs the dog, and they try to rush back without trying to seem like they're uh, scared. Running away. Running away, yeah. Um, To not, like, antagonize or, like, make something feel like they've got him. Mm -hmm. The whistling stops. But... As he's on his way back home, he gets this feeling that something's following him, that something is still watching him. So he decides to turn around, face whatever it is, and he calls it out. He's like, come on out and face me. Nothing happens. But he kind of feels better inside, so he continues to do that as he's, like, backing (sighs) towards the house. And he's, like, calling after whatever it is, like, trying to call it out. He makes it back to the house, rushes inside, And then he rushes 
to see his girlfriend and something occurs to him that his girlfriend's mom had just told them a story a week or so ago about these people who would use witchcraft to turn into flying demons. And the moral of the story was to never whistle at night. Ooh. Because that then they would attack you or they, they would go after you if you did that. So he heads over to his girlfriend and he's like, hey, 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 what was it that your mom was telling us the other night about not whistling at night? No reason or anything. I just, uh, what was it? Her response was, Izzy, what did you do? Oh, no. And he's like, no, I didn't do anything. He's just asking. I was just asking. And as she's like about to say something, he like turns around, like heads to go talk to her mom instead. So he like heads upstairs and into one of the bedrooms where the mom is putting to bed the, the baby. And like the bed is next to like three different windows on the wall. They're all open just with like the bug nets on or like the screen on. Yeah. And he, he asks her mom, hey, what was that story that you were telling us about the other day about uh, not whistling at night? And she turns around. And she says, oh, no. What did you do? And he's like, oh, nothing, nothing. I and then from outside, they hear this sound like something with giant wings is flapping outside. And then something lands on their roof. Dun, dun. And all of a sudden, like his girlfriend's mom starts just praying. She's like saying this prayer out loud and the baby starts crying and Izzy's like, I've had enough of whatever this is. So he runs over to the window and he like takes the screen protector off to stick his head out the window. And as he's sticking his head out the window, he hears his, his girlfriend's mom yell, don't do it. But it was too late. He sticks his head out and this flash of light goes off. The next thing he remembers is just being in the room. Like something had just taken five minutes out of his day. Like it just skipped. And apparently his girlfriend's mom had grabbed him and pulled him back into the room and nothing happened to him. Like he doesn't remember. He, he was looking out the window to see whatever it was, but didn't see anything. Just this flash of light. Girlfriend's mom just keeps saying it was lightning or something like that. Trying to like deescalate, but he could never figure out what it was. All he knows now is to never whistle at night. Ooh. Dude, that's the first time I, because I've talked about it before, like in Hawaii, you're not supposed to whistle at night. That's, I think that's the first time I've heard that same thing. Like, yeah, in ever. a completely different area too. I had never even heard that completely whistling at night country. was. Yeah, dude. Yeah. <laughs> More civilized country. <laughs> I had never heard that either, like not to not whistle at night. Hmm. But. Apparently, and the legend goes, is that these people that will use witchcraft to become these entities, these flying demons, will target you if you whistle at night. Huh. I wonder what that is. Like, does it just piss them off? <laughs> like, what the hell are you doing? Someone I don't know. Calls them? I don't know. It's weird. Something with frequencies, maybe? Hmm. The like girlfriend? Like a dog whistle, almost? Where it's like only they can... They can hear and, re- I don't know, react. I don't know. Hmm. Uh, the girlfriend and the mom's reaction is, like, the scariest thing to me. How, like, they're like, what did you do? You know what I mean? Like, Instantly they take it so just, serious. Yeah. yeah. I'd be like, oh, shit. It I wasn't know. even a question. It was like, what happened? Yeah. 
that was no, it was super creepy. And just the whistle in general, like trying to get you to whistle almost. Mm. I mean, it got him to. I don't know if it would get anybody to, but it was almost like taunting. So do you think, because I was wondering maybe they're warning him not to go on the bridge, but it sounds like they're trying to lure him to come forward. That's what it seems like to me mm. based on the rest of the story. Hmm. But um, shout out to Izzy Hernandez. Uh, I got this story from Native Ghost Stories on Facebook. Dope. So shout out Mark Zuck, dude. Hey, <laughs> that's fun. The flash is weird. Yeah, yeah. There, you had that one where they were on the boat and they were looking, and it was like a huge flash. And they oh, were, like up in that? Alaska or something. That came from Emmy. Whoa! Oh, what? Emmy's brother. Synchronicity, dude. Trippy. Did I share that? I yeah. Think you shared it. I think you did. I think you did. No, he did. I, I, yeah, I remember. It. I remember. It, yeah. I don't remember sharing it. I thought I'd been saving it. Yeah. Because he asked me recently, like, hey, tell me that story again so I can share it. So, do you want to just like recap real quick? Do you want you tell it? Oh, okay. Oh. Where should I start from? Hi, my name's Emmy. Uh, I'm friends here with DJ. Uh, are my wife and his girlfriend are best friends. So that's how. So I, I work at a body shop and we have this delivery guy comes and delivers parts. Super cool guy. And human or car? Oh, sorry. <laughs> car, car, auto body shop. <laughs> like collision repair. Uh, so this guy he comes in, brings his parts and super fun guy, like super friendly. Like they're never friendly, but this guy's super friendly. Always oh, stayed and talked. And he served in the Navy. And in the Navy, he was pretty fresh. Uh, he was like fresh out of high school. And they sent him out to somewhere out in Japan, that area of the world, Pacific. And then this one night, they're on patrol, just in the ship in the middle of nowhere. And out of nowhere, he sees flashes of lights like underwater in the ocean. Whoa. And and, and no one's making a big fuss about it. Like, no one's like, whoa, whoa, look at this. Like, like we need to do something about it. And so that happens at night. No one, he doesn't, like, tell anyone. He's just like, hey, whatever. And then the next night, same thing happens. Out in the ocean, these bright flashes of light happen. And so then he just starts telling his friends. And his friends that have been there for longer are like, yeah, that happens nightly like that always happens and then he's like well can't you guys check out like the radar isn't there anything on the radar and they're like nothing appears on the radar and so they have no idea what it is but like after a while and they're like out in the ocean they're like out there out there and they just don't know what it is and yeah there's just light flashes of light in the ocean that they have no idea Dude, obviously, it's a super over-the-top Godzilla promotion <laughs> for Kong Versilla. Uh, okay, I don't think you have shared that story. because, But you've shared one where a whole crew was out near Alaska, and they're, like, watching the Northern Lights. I, rem- I remember that one. <laughs> <laughs> and there's, like, a flash of light, and they're all trying to figure out what it is. So okay. here is yet another Flash of light story. It's trippy, dude. And it's weird that you just happen to be here. Yeah, it's freaky. Pretty cool. Thank you. Yeah. That's it for me tonight, though. Ooh, spooky. (laughs) That is spooky, dude. 
like as I was reading the story, like the whole fogginess kind of made it so much scarier too. Cause the one time we went to the movies at like oh. it was like a midnight showing of Woman in Black 2. And we come out and there's nothing but fog. Well, we everywhere. went at like 12 a.m. at the Provo Mall. Just like, so there's like one car in the parking lot besides <laughs> us when we get there. So when we leave, there's like less cars. And we walk out and the fog is sitting there and Sean and I are looking at you. We're like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> Run to the car. No, dude, the flapping of the wings. Yeah, that's me. what freaked oh, me out. Oh, yeah, dude. I don't give two shits about birds. But <laughs> if I heard something that big flapping outside my house. You still haven't seen the owl out here, have you? No. Dude, I feel like that would make anyone shit their pants if they saw that coming at them. Yeah. But whatever it was, was bigger than an owl. Hmm. Interesting. That's you tonight? Yep. Dude, thanks, man. Okay. Dude, we're on part three of Joe vs. Elon. <sighs> I'm stressed already. <laughs> Dude, reading this, I don't think I'm doing it justice. I really think... If you if you're listening and if you haven't read this web comic yet, you really should. I, I'm not doing the story justice telling it. I have a couple myself. people who t- reached out and they're like, "Hey, I checked it out. It it's is so good." And the feeling I get while reading it feels like good time or uh, uncut gems. Like oh, so stressful. Of stress. <laughs> yeah, super super stressful. He's really good storyteller. Uh, his illustrations are really great too. Um, and I feel like I'm in it, but, uh, so yeah, part that, three, <laughs> you'll attempt to do it. Part three is, is, is incredible. We're finally making headway and I'm going to attempt to share what that, what that is. So quick recap in part one, Joe is kidnapped and taken to Elon's school and at Elon, they're mentally and emotionally abusing their patients. In part two, we read about the physical abuse and every attempt he's made to try and escape or rebel or take a stand gets shot down so quickly. And it's so tiring. Like I'm exhausted reading this story. And part three is all about Joe's rise to power. So what? At the end of part two, Joe's taken back to the corner, a corner where you're facing pretty much 24-7. They have a little mat where you sleep on right there, but it's just a chair, and you're facing two walls. Can't speak. You have to sit straight up. You eat there. Can't read. Can't watch anything. Can't speak to anybody. And journalists have interviewed multiple people who attended Ilan, and they said you could be in the corner for anywhere from two days to two months. Insane. There was a report of a girl who was sent to the corner for a couple of months. And by the end, she was just speaking to herself the whole time and speaking to her like you couldn't get through to her. She was just like in her own world. Uh, so just like the abuse that they they went through, lots of people, well, almost everyone who came out of there just has like mad PTSD from what was going on. And uh, Joe's not an exception. So Joe gets sent back to the corner for trying to rebel again. And he's pissed because this is, I think, the third or fourth time that he's tried to do something for himself and it hasn't worked. And he realizes that nobody's coming to save him. 
that he has to do this himself. Even though he's tried, he needs to try again. He realizes three things. One, he has no way of telling anybody this. You mean like outside of Elan? Outside of Elan. Mm-hmm. They monitor all the letters and make them make corrections, which leads to two. Elan staff feeds fairy tales to everybody on the outside of what it's like on the inside. You know, so forcing them to write certain things in their letters. They have phone calls, but they're heavily monitored. And you only get the privilege of calling home for like two minutes a week if you've already proven that they can trust you, you know, to connect to the outside world for that little bit. And three, uh, the levels of abuse were purposely designed to be so bizarre that even if you did tell people on the outside, they wouldn't believe it. So this is what he's up against. Joe decides that he is going to try to hack this through, if you can't beat them, join them. So he decides that he's going to comply with everything that they're doing, which is a risk that we'll see play out more and more. But he starts listening. He starts doing everything that they ask him to do. Just mindless drone or what? Yep. And that's what they wanted, just compliance. And it wasn't long until he was taken out of the corner. And Joe said, I remember walking out of the corner and promising to myself, I'm never going to go back there again. I'm going to do whatever I can do to never go back. Joe's goal is to become a strength. And if you remember in Ilan, there's different ranks. The lowest is non-strength. And then above that is strength and then high strength. And then the administrators. So the first goal to become a strength and to become a strength you have to do everything that they say and show that they can trust you over a certain amount of time this takes six months so by the time he left the corner he had already been there for six months it took six more months to become a strength by that point it had been a year that he was in Elan. he kissed all the right asses did all the right things to get in the right place and uh, be in the right position so now he's like a district leader. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he said, as a strength, you know, he walks into the board of like administrators who say, you've been approved to be a strength. With that becomes a lot of responsibility and a, a few more privileges for you to enjoy. And they hand him one of those clipboards. And he becomes a monitor for the dining hall, one of the monitors in the dining hall uh, at the, the entryway door. He's taking notes on everybody. He's being an ass to everybody. A group of newbies come in one day, and one of the newbies is eyeing him out super hard. And Joe's thinking, I know that look. You know, that was me a year ago. Just mad at everybody. And I still am, but I need to stick to this role. You know, I need to play the part. And he walks up to the newbie. He says, what the hell are you looking at? You don't ever look at me. Telling him all the things that he was he was told when he first got there. And uh, the whole time he was yelling at this kid, he talks about, I wish I could tell this kid, this is the only way for me to get out of here. Now I'm telling him, Elon's going to help you. You're here for a reason. Something's wrong with you, but we're going to help fix you. But what's really going on in my head is, this place is is evil. And... You have to follow their sick rules and play their sick games in, in order to get out. Because right now, I'm yelling at you to fulfill an order. And 
earn certain privileges. One privilege is seeing my parents tomorrow. So Elon has uh, something called parent group, where if you become a strength, the rank of strength, they fly your parents out. And you get to meet with them and show, you know, the progress you've made in Elon. And they get to see firsthand, you know, how Elon's really fixing their child. So the next day comes and parent group happens in a, like a trailer outside of the main building. And he walks up to the door of the trailer and it's time. It's time. And Joe says this, I stood waiting behind a door in the parent group trailer. I'd been dreaming of this day for so long. I couldn't believe my parents were actually behind that door. He says, I couldn't help but think about what landed me here. So at this point, we haven't heard why Joe got here. We just heard he got kidnapped from his bedroom in his house in the middle of the night and taken in a van across the country to where he's at now. But basically what happened is he's in high school. Two of his friends who he refers to as P and B said, P and B were my best friends. We started smoking weed. Summer came. Sick. <laughs> summer came and, and B's older brother was the plug. And he had all the hookups. And we pulled all our money together and we were able to buy a brick. Whoa. Damn. <laughs> he said, all right, the plan this summer is to go to P's cabin. Joe will use your car because you have a license now. And we're going to smoke all summer. We have a couple diamond nickel bags. We'll sell what we can, make some of our money back, and or make our money back, and then some smoke for free. Hang out. Have a good time. Have a good summer. It sounds epic. Yeah. Sounds like a good idea to me. <laughs> also, I can't help. I think P's name is Peanut, and then B is Butter. That's what I was thinking, too. And then their brother's dude. Jelly that they bought the weed from. That's cool. <laughs> Please refer to them as such. <laughs> so, like, hell yeah, let's do it. So they get in the car and they start heading to, to P's cabin. They drive in. They're excited. It's the beginning of summer. Such mm-hmm. an exciting feeling as a high schooler. That is until they see red and blue lights flashing in their rearview mirror. They were pulled over. Joe said it was the dumbest shit ever. <laughs> it was later written officially as reasonable suspicion that the driver is underage. That's why they were pulled over. So he just looked young. Yeah, he looked young. And he was the oldest one. He had the license. A cop walks up and he doesn't know, but there's product in the car. They're young and they're nervous. You know? So he doesn't know, exactly know how to respond. It's authority. Yeah. You know? We have weed. <laughs> Dude, the cop picks up on it. Uh, He's like, why so are you acting fast. weird, kid? So go ahead and uh, step out of the car. Yeah, the Uh-oh. cop searches their car. He finds a scale, finds the grinder. You guys cooking? And he finds all the little dime bags. Oh. And then lastly, the brick. So they get arrested and they get taken in. And hours later, which feels like an eternity, P's parents come and they're chill. They're already notified of everything that happened. Like, man, I remember when we were young, we did the same thing, hmm. you know, picked them up and left. B's parents come, same thing, super chill. That was not the case for for my parents, Joe says. They're pissed at him. Definitely the correct response. Just scream, (laughs) yell, send away to Elon. 
Joe's parents actually find a social worker, and this social worker just fills their heads with fear, saying, you know, Joe's going to be lucky enough to, if he please, he can get his deal down to five to seven years at least. You know, he tries to frame it as, you know, they cross like state lines. So crossing the border, like just adds, yeah, yeah. adds more time. So he says, you know, there's alternate or there are different opportunities, you know, that we can do to appease the judge that he can sign off on. Pulls out all these bro- brochures to all these different youth camps. One of them is Elon. Hmm. And the parents go with that. And of course, all of that's done behind Joe's back. And then here he is a year or so later. He's kidnapped from his room and taken to Ilan. So as he's thinking about that, he hears knock, which is what the administrators yell so that they comply and then knock and then come in. Joe knocks. They say, who is it? They know who it is, but they just want him to comply. So it's Joe. They say, enter. He walks in. And what happens? They've rehearsed. They've rehearsed. Joe has. Joe, yeah. They've rehearsed how he needs to act in front of his parents. He sees both of them sitting there. They're actually there. And he's feeling so happy to see them because it's the first people that they he knows. Send him here, Even bro, though I'd they sent so him pissed. there, it's grudges. his only connection to the outside world. Oh, forgive me, you know? Sean. No, dude. So even though he's feeling happy, he keeps just a straight deadpan face like they told, like they told him to. And as soon as he walks in, he rehearses. And what he rehearsed was getting his feelings off. They make him scream and yell at his parents, cussing them out. Fuck you, mom. You piece of shit. <laughs> minutes. Five minutes. Six minutes. Go by him screaming at the top of his lungs at his parents. Finally, when the administrators think it's enough, they say, all right, Joe. Calm down, head outside, and he exits. That's it. That's the whole interaction. So he waits for a little bit. He hears again, knock. Knocks. It's Joe. He walks back in, and it's just Ron. Ron's one of the main uh, administrators there, older gentleman in his 50s, who had been through Elon himself. So he worked his way up to the top, and now he's a paid administrator. Ron says, you did good. Not great, but good. So we're going to let you go out with your parents. And you'll have one day and one night. Joe's really excited, but he can't respond. He can't give like a happy reaction. He keeps a straight face and he says, thank you. He says, we're going to call your parents in one more time. And we'll figure out the details and go from there. So they call him in. And Joe gives uh, part two of the spiel that they've rehearsed. You know, leading up to this parent group, he tells, tells his parents, I realize now that I have a lot of insecurities and unresolved issues built up inside of me. Ilan's program is definitely giving me the tools I need to confront those issues head on. And it helps to be surrounded by such positive role models, people who have also been down that path themselves and who made it. The rest of the administrators walk back in and they talk about, you know, Joe actually has made a ton of progress here. Obviously, there's still some more work to be done, you know, but maybe we're we're hoping that you visiting can, you know, spark some of that change in him. Uh, So we really hope that uh, this visit is beneficial to to all of us. And I'm like, thank you. Thank you so much. We're we're so happy to be here. 
Ron says, Mr. and Mrs. Joe, can you leave the room for a little bit? I just need to have a word with Joe real quick. The parents exit the room. Ron, as soon as they leave, says, I bet you your dad's a closet homosexual. <laughs> and your mom can't keep her legs closed. Man, I wish I didn't have a girlfriend. His blood's boiling. Ron says, let's get one thing straight. You're not going to run away. Joe's plotting the whole time, you know, like, this is the closest thing. Like, this is my first time to outside. How could I not run away? In walks Peter, who's one of the high strengths. And he's looking at Peter. Why are you here? You know, thinking in his head. And Ron says, you didn't think you're going to be alone, did you? Companion. And Peter comes at him, starts screaming at him. Don't you can think about it. You're not running away. You're staying within one foot of me. Everywhere you go. I go, screaming at him, telling him how it's going to be over the next day with his parents. Peter's paired up with with Joe, and they get into the car with the parents sitting in the back seat, and they drive off. Joe said the next day was meticulously planned by Elon. The hotel we stayed at, the room we were in, uh, the places we ate. They've done this before many, many times, and they've gotten this down to a science so that I wouldn't run away. Joe said, being outside in the regular world was insane. I had been cooped up in corners and buildings without windows uh, for a year now. So seeing people out and about just walking blew my mind. I didn't realize how how normal things were, how quickly that was stripped away from me. And Joe wrote, if you're reading this and you're thinking, this is something you hear in the movies and TV shows, documentaries, whatever, like this is going to happen to me. It's like, but it happened to me. We get to the hotel and I immediately have to use the bathroom. And I'm closing the door to the bathroom. Peter sticks his foot inside the door. He says, no, you're not shitting alone. I says, why? You want to be in here with me? I said, I do. You could be drinking that shampoo right there. You could be grabbing anything inside this bathroom to use against me. I need to keep all my eyes on you the entire time. While he's taking a shit, Peter starts talking to him. He's like, what do you want to do for fun? You know, we can, uh, we can go to the movie theaters across the street. They play porn after midnight. Uh, there's a restaurant we can go to anytime we want. Baiting him, dude. There's a restaurant we can go to anytime we want. What? Uh, if you ask your parents for money, I'm sure they'd give it to you. you could order whatever food we want. You can eat a fat dick. <laughs> <laughs> Turn around while I wipe. That's the number number one thing we'll do. Uh, Joe's not cooperating with him. He doesn't want to. He has no reason to. There's no other administrators watching or high uh, other high strengths making him do that. So he's just not responding. Peter's like, that's fine, whatever. They go to dinner and Joe's like taken back by how he can take his time eating. Yeah. Because they had like minutes, right? Yeah. Yeah. He said. That's normal for Sean though. That's true. (laughs) He talked about how it was weird that he had that time to eat where previously it was like, we don't have enough time. We don't know how much long, like how long we have to eat. So I'm just going to keep gorging myself until they say stop. But here, like, I could take a bite, talk, take a bite, talk, chill, whatever. Just more details about 
day-to-day things that were stripped away from him while he was in Elan that he's now experiencing again. They go to bed. Next day comes, and they go down to the lobby, and they have the room where there's, like, the continental breakfast, which is pretty bad. Usually it's, like, cereal and, like, bagels, you know, some fruit. I'm starving. But he was looking at it like it was a feast. No. And uh, he grabs a bunch of muffins. Nice. Has a ton, an armful. And he goes to his mom's purse and starts putting them inside. He says, Peter, you think this is okay? He's like, I don't care. It's a good idea. We can have some snacks for later. He's like, don't touch your mom's purse, though. Like, micromanaging his every movement. So he's tossing the, the muffins in the purse. They go out, cruise around the town, just walking around, shopping. And they go to a diner and get lunch. And he's terrified because after lunch, he's going back to Elan. He ordered his, his food, and it was sitting in front of him. And he was thinking about how he felt like this was like the, me- the last meal they served to inmates on death row. It's like, this is my last meal before I go back in. And he said, uh, this whole time he's been looking forward to this parent group visit and to try to run away. And he hasn't yet. Like, it hits him that, you know, time is working against him. He said it felt like, you know, when you're on a diet or if someone's, on an, someone's addicted to something, they're like, oh, I'll start next week Monday or I'll start, or I'll start tomorrow. So today I'll just, you know do whatever I can, eat whatever I want, smoke as much as I want. He's like, I always thought that escape was around the next corner. But then we'd get to these corners or we get to these points. I get to this day, I get to outside of Ilan, and I'm still not gone yet. You know, I haven't tried to run away. So he's thinking, what do I, what do, I do? What do I need to do? They finish their meal. They walk up to the cashier and... Joe walks up to his mom's purse. He reaches out to grab the purse. And Peter lunges towards him and says, I told you don't touch the purse. And before he could complete that sentence, Joe reaches inside, grabs a muffin, tosses it at Peter, and it's in the middle of the air. And he says, here, Peter, have a muffin. And as Peter's about to catch it, Joe had grabbed pepper spray in his mom's purse, sprays it in Peter's face. Peter's screaming, crying. What the hell, Joe? He's on the ground. Can't see. I would kill him. Can't see. He's like, call Ron. Call Ron. Call Elon. That's pepper spray parents too, dude. (laughs) Joe says, this is my time to explain to my parents. He turns to them. He says, listen to me. You have no idea what's going. And they interrupt him. Joe, who the hell do you think you are? What did you just do? He has no room to talk because they're berating him. Their son just embarrassed them in front of everybody there. He just pepper sprayed a stranger or to them, this uh, administrator who's been helping him. But mom, it's not what it's like. They yell over him. They're not giving him any room to speak. So Joe looks down. Peter's just getting up, starting to get his vision back, and he realizes he just needs to run. So he turns, starts to run, when Peter grabs his arm. His nails are digging into his arm. He says, it's too late. 
He turns around. It's actually his father trying to stop him. Joe pepper sprays his father and his mother. Dude, they'd catch hands if that was yeah. me. <laughs> so wild. So wild. And they let go, and he runs out of the diner into the woods. No, you grab the keys, take the car. He thinks about that. He says, while he's running, his first thought is, I'm not going back. That's why I pepper sprayed my own parents. So I pepper sprayed uh, Peter. He said, what do I do next? Take their car? He said, I don't want to do anything, you know, more criminal. Give anybody more reason to put me back yeah. into Elan. He said, I just need to get away for a second. Be by myself. Think. Come up with a plan. So he goes into the woods until he can't hear the sound of cars, the sound of people. And so he can't run anymore. He's finally by himself for the first time in over a year. And he's sitting there. He doesn't know what to do. He ends up sitting there for hours. The sun starts going down. He's like, you know what? I'm just going to go to the main road and see what happens. Goes out to the main road. Sees a car coming by. <sighs> Sticks his thumb out. He's like, I'm going to try to catch a ride. Up pools. The sketchiest looking van you've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and... It's this older gentleman. He said, you look young. Haven't your parents ever told you not to talk to strangers? He said, I need to go south. And the man says, that's where I'm headed. Get in if you want. It's us, dude. Joe gets into the van. Oh, no, dude. It's the same van they kidnapped him with. And they start driving off. This man starts to... Tries to make small talk with Joe, and Joe's not responding. He's like, sorry, you're a low strength? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and say, boy? the man says, all right, just take a swig of this. It's a Colt 45. And Joe says, no, I don't want any of that. I was like, suit yourself. More also, for me. neither should you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> driving. He says, more for me. And he takes a swig. So he keeps trying to talk to Joe, and he keeps drinking, and he keeps driving. He says, you're obviously running from something or towards something. Joe, it's been 45 minutes in the car. He thinks that if this was somebody from Ilan, they would, he would already have taken him back. Hmm. So he feels it's okay to start talking. And Joe starts from the beginning, from when he was first kidnapped. Tells him the whole story. They're driving south from Maine and get to Massachusetts. And see the sign on the road, Boston. Joe's still telling the story. The man says, I have some business in Boston to do. Joe's look like, whatever, just as long as you go south. They pull up to a McDonald's. The man buys them a few McDoubles and McChickens. They drive to another building around the block. Maybe we judged a book by its cover a little too early, Still dude. don't trust him. Dude, still don't trust him. And he walks into the building, comes out with this big duffel bag, throws it into the car. In the back of the van. And the man says to Joe, you're still here? You are brave. So you've earned yourself a trip to New York City. Joe says, sure, fine. So they continue. Joe finishes his story. The man's driving, drinking some more. He says, you know, I got a story too. Oh, no. 
He said it was 1965, and I was in San Francisco. I was smoking weed, listening to Grateful Dead. Then, boom, a week later, we were kids in the jungle in Vietnam. We weren't supposed to be there. America was not supposed to be there. We were dealing with people in holes, Charlie in the trees type shit. Said it was way too real. All of these teenagers in a foreign country in a jungle fighting a war we didn't start. We were traveling for days through the jungle, hiking, trying to get from point A to point B. And we'd sleep together, huddled really closely together. It made us feel safe. Till one morning... As the platoon started waking up, we woke up to every other man in our platoon with their throats slit. Every other? My thoughts were they got the lookouts first, and the Viet Congs were as silent as mirrors, moving through, killing one man, slitting their throat, letting one live, killing the next, letting the next live. They did that with everybody. The man said the half that were left, including me, held each other cried like babies. I remember asking the colonel, why would they kill just half of us? The colonel taps the temple of his head, says it's psychological warfare. They're trying to get us from the inside out. We have to continue to stick together. As the man's telling Joe the story, Joe responds, that story makes my life sound great. The man says, hey, bullshit, you stop with that. Stop with that bull. Listen, and you listen good. Don't you ever let anybody tell you that you can't be sad because some bonehead somewhere else has been sadder. That's stupid. That's dumb as saying you can't be happy because someone somewhere else has been more happy. It's not no contest, Joe. I don't ever want you to forget that. I heard your story, and you were wronged. And the feelings you feel, they ain't wrong. They ain't wrong. Joe says, just as he said that, I saw something amazing. It was sunrise, and he could see the New York City skyline in the distance. He says, that's amazing. I've never seen New York. He's thinking of how it's going to be walking through the city, coming from a corner. Joe says, hey. I just realized I don't even know your name. The man says, the name's Casey Jones. Nice to meet you. So they get in New York City. He's looking around outside the windows. Towering skyscrapers. Tons of them, too, as far as the eye can see in every direction. And he's thinking, I, I didn't know when I'd come to New York City. I had a perception of what it was like from all the movies. But I didn't think I'd come in. You know, at a time like this, you know, in this stage of my life with what's going on. So they're making their way and they reach their destination. It's a big gate, barbed wire on the top, opens up for the man's van and he drives in. It's time to part ways. Joe says, thank you so much. I appreciate it. He turns, pulls the door handle and it's locked. Just then, his heart sinks, and he's holding still, and he starts to sweat. And he can hear the, the man moving in the driver's seat, adjusting his, his body, turning towards Joe. And Joe looks, 
And the man puts his hand inside his coat. He says, did you really think I was just going to let you go? Takes his hand out, and it's a wad of cash. Gives it to Joe. He said, man. My pee-pee. <laughs> man says, man, I wish I could help you more. I wish I could do more for you. But you're on your own now. Godspeed. Unlocks the door. Can you let me out? Yeah. <laughs> Joe opens it and leaves. Yeah, Casey's good. <laughs> Joe's in New York City. Ooh. It's so crazy. He said the city didn't feel real to him. It was so surreal. Casey told him, you should go try Union Square. There's lots of roads uh, leading away from there. And you can figure out where you want to go from there, probably. So he goes to Union Square. Ask some people on the street, where's Union Square? Point him in the right direction. Yeah, I, I'm not. This is one of the parts where I don't think I'm doing it justice by telling you where I think you should go and read this. But just his experience of, you know, being in a normal life again. Did he get pizza? Is insane. That's the first thing I do. It's so insane. Just hearing his perspective and the way he illustrates normality. Mm. Like for us, of course, like like walking down the street is just an everyday thing. But for him, he couldn't go anywhere unless somebody told him to or if he had the permission to. Simple things weren't so simple in the lawn. I know I said it before, but it's legit like your first week back from the mission where you're like, uh, <laughs> I don't know what to do with myself. So he makes it to Union Square and he sees a payphone because this is, I think, in the 80s or 90s. He sees a payphone. He's like, who do I call? It's like, I don't think there's anyone I want to call right now. Call Elon, dude. Yeah. <laughs> do I call Elon? Do I call the cops? Do I, I'm not going to call my parents. said, I could always come back to a payphone if I figure it out, figure out who I want to talk to, if I need to talk to somebody. So I just want to be in a place where I could uh, sit safely and not be bothered. So he asked for directions to the public library, and he heads there. He said, this was perfect. Felt safe. I was, it was quiet. I could think my own thoughts, be in my own space. Jeez. For the first time. Reading wasn't allowed in Elan. It was a privilege. You had to earn it. And even if you earned the privilege, you could only read what was issued to you. It's there that uh, Joe reads about Synanon. Have any of you heard about Synanon? S-Y-N-S-Y-N-A-N-O-N. So Synanon is similar to Elan. Wait, Synanon? Synanon, Synanon. Yeah, I have heard of it. What do, do you know anything about it? Not off the top, but I think My Favorite Murder covered it. Okay. I bet you they did because apparently Synanon is like the grandfather for Elon. All these other institutions that lure, you know, helpless people in. Um, promise them help. and Promise them help. Uh, it's been like one of the main inspirations for like Epstein Island, things like that. So he's trying to study Elon. He thinks, I want to understand what they did to me. So he finds this, this book about Synanon, and he reads about it. Basically, the de details about it is uh, it was started by a, a guy named Charles Diedrich, and he made it as a front to help drug addicts come clean, a rehab facility. So he rented out this space somewhere in Southern California for like 100 bucks a month. House them, go through whatever pseudotherapy that he made up. And uh, 
part of the contract is you have to like sign everything over mm-hmm. to to Charles Diedrich. So by the end of his career, it's estimated that Diedrich was given 5,500 acres of property, 200 cars, 400 motorcycles, 62 freight trucks, 20 boats, 12 airplanes, and $1 million invested in the stock market. He lived like royalty off of his victims. It was insane. The way uh, they got caught is this dude sent his wife there thinking that it could help her with her drug addiction. He never heard from her again. Oh, chill. So this dude reached out to a lawyer. The lawyer's name is, and this is maybe where you might have heard about it. The lawyer's name is Paul Morantz. Paul Morantz was famous for uh, fighting cults in court. Huh. He's, uh, if you look him up, he's fought like the Church of Scientology, a bunch of others. But I think Scientology and Synanon are like his two biggest on his resume. But Paul Morantz got really into this, reached out to uh, Charles Diedrich, said uh, something to the effect of, Stude's wife, he hasn't heard from her. You know, what's going on? And uh, Charles responded and said, oh, she wants no part with him anymore. The rehab that she's going through right here is everything to her, and she's happy and loves it here. Obviously, he doesn't buy that, so he starts fighting or building a case. While he's doing this, gaining more evidence, getting more traction, more support from the public. He comes home one day. He has one of those old school mailboxes where they uh, throw mail inside the box and you can get it from inside your house. Yeah. And he can see that there's some mail inside. So he sticks his hand in and he gets bit. Charles Diedrich had planted a rattlesnake that they had cut off the rattle to and put it inside his mailbox. And uh, it was attempted murder. He almost died. Somehow he got to the hospital, lived, and if he hadn't had lived, then he wouldn't have been the one to expose them. Maybe somebody else would, but he was the one, and he almost wasn't able to because of that attempted murder. So Joe's reading this. He's like, sweet. He's reading about like all the tactics that they use at Synanon. He's like, Elon does the exact same thing. Uh, getting your feelings off where everybody comes to run, yell at you, they did that. It's like Elon definitely got that from them. All these different things where it shows that they're getting brainwashed. He's Joe's reading all of this, just thinking there are other people out there who did the same thing, experienced the same thing. Only thing he can think of is, man, I have to save the others. Doesn't know how exactly. He has big plans. Joe thinks, I need to eat. So he does go to a pizza joint. Nice, nice. Finds this place that's a dollar a slice. And he walks in, and it's lunchtime. The place is bussing, and it's filled with kids his age. He thinks, they're probably getting lunch from school and heading back. It's just like rush hour time, I guess. He says there's such a big difference between these teens and the teens at Elon. Everybody had an identity. Mine was stripped. Everybody was talking, laughing. Girls here. I could I could just look at a girl without getting in trouble. He said it was kind of hard not to. <laughs> My hormones were raging. I'm a teen I was a teenager. While I was staring at a girl, I must have been staring at her for a long enough time to where it was kind of creepy. <laughs> and I hear this voice from the side. Yo, if you like it so much, why don't you do something about it? 
He looks over. This kid with this afro has his whole team behind him, looking tough. He says, yo, you kind of creepy, man. What do you think you're doing? He's like, I ain't, I ain't seen you in our school. What hood you from? Uh, Brooklyn. He says, yeah, what part? Uh, Hell's Kitchen. Hey, yo, what? This fool tripping. This kid uh, continues to talk to him and says, bro, you're creepy. You're dirty looking. Now you tripping. Kids start circling up. You know, what's the commotion? You know, what's this argument going on? And as that happening, something awoke in Joe. Something snapped. Normally, you know, a year and a half ago in high school, this had happened, he would just walked away. But Joe takes a step forward towards the dude. First off, who the hell do you think you're talking to? Is that your thing, randomly talking to strangers like you're in charge of shit? Think that's smart? Second off, since we've already established that you're all about doing dumbass shit, I guess it's no surprise you hide behind some of your MTV raps wannabe thug image <laughs> you've built for your insecure ass. Three, I know this may be hard for you to follow. I'm sorry for my language. <laughs> you're f***ing with the wrong motherfucker. You don't have a clue where I've been, and I'm about ready to skip past all the fake-ass posturing and insults. So let's skip that shit. Listen up. Punch me. Do it. He's tapping his chin. You feel the first punch. Silence. What are you waiting for? Throw it. Do it. Free punch. Yo, you crazy, man. Walks away. <laughs> Adrenaline's pumping. He goes and finishes his couple slices of pizza that he got. Smart, smart. He finally feels that he should make a call. He heads outside, and there's a little phone booth right there. So with the leftover change from his meal, he sticks it inside. Dials. Here's a ring. A couple rings go by. Nobody picks up. Beep. It's a voicemail. It's a voice of his mom and dad saying, leave a message. He starts to leave a message. He says, mom, dad, I'm safe. Not telling you where I am, just letting you know. And just then... He hears the phone pick up. Joe, is that you? It's Joe's sister, who he's really, really close with. Joe, I miss you so, so much. Where the hell have you been? How the hell are you? What's going on? Emotions are pouring out. She says, Joe, I love you and I miss you. This is the first time that he's been told that he's loved. Mm. Uh, somebody showing a- affection. She's not even letting him speak because she hasn't talked to him for over a year. She's so excited. She's saying stuff like, every time that you've called home, uh, Elon's told mom and dad that I'm not allowed to talk to you because he's going to brain, uh, you're going to brainwash me. All these different excuses. And I, I keep telling mom and dad that they're the ones brainwashing you. Just want to talk to you, see how you're doing. Uh, all those letters you sent, are, are they real? Mm. You know, Joe's so caught up. And what's going on with this emotion that's been showing, shown to him that he's never felt for a year. And he, he, he's trying to process it. She says, yeah, uh, PNB are, are wondering about you too. Joe thinks, you have contact with PNB? Where'd they get sent off to? She said, PNB's back in school. Everything's normal for them. Life continued. What happened was PNB's parents hired this attorney uh, worked out a good deal with the judge, and all they had to do was 
100 hours of community service and they're on some strict supervision for a year or two. Gosh. But life is normal for them. Uh, their parents heard about some youth camps like Ilan and they heard bad things, so they decided not to send their kids there. But I, I can relay a message to PMB if you have one for them. And he's thinking about this and he feels cheated, so cheated. And he's overcome with sadness. He says, I'm sorry, sis. I, I, I need to go. Are you going to be home in two days? She said, yes, I will be. He says, at this exact same time, I'll call you again. I love you. Bye. He hangs up. He's just frustrated. Rightfully so. At least he pepper sprayed them, dude. Yeah, dude. He's like, oh, I feel a little better. Um, just as uh, he gets off the phone, somebody grabs his shoulder, turns around. It's a kid. Cool haircut. Got some earrings. Kid says, yo, thanks for standing up to that dickhead. <laughs> you should come hang out with us. Behind him are two of his friends, same age. He says, first thing I notice is they all had their own identity. Identity. <laughs> <laughs> They both had their own identity. Uh, Joe remembers thinking, I experienced so much life already in the few hours that I've been here. More than I had experienced in the last year. He says, all right, I'll come with you guys. They go to the park. He remembers getting to the park and looking at all these people just laying out, having fun. His initial thought was, what a waste of time. That's what Elon conditioned him to think, you know, that... You know, all these people are wasting time. They're not working. They're not doing anything productive. He immediately throws that out the window. He's like, no, this is normal. You know, this is just what people do. This is normal life. They go and get coffee. He talks about how Elon ruined him about how, how to act in certain situations. He said, when we went there, we found a booth for the four of us. I could not sit in the middle. I didn't want to feel trapped. I also didn't want the booth behind me. People sitting behind me, all I could think of was someone coming to slit my throat. It's like I had to sit on the edge of the booth. I didn't say much to them. They tried to get to know me, and I threw them one-word answers. But I enjoyed the company. I enjoyed seeing how life was normal. We wandered the city some more. It was just about time for dinner. And I remember thinking, like, the hardest thing about my life after Ilan was the weight of holding it all inside, all by myself. Joe writes in the comic, he says, if you're sitting somewhere right now and you can get up without permission, appreciate that fact. He said that whole day, looked at trees growing in the city, thought about how he's that tree, trying to survive in an environment that, you know, wasn't made for trees in a concrete jungle. It made a lawn. Everything that happened that day, street performers he saw, people chilling in the park, all the normal things said it just made Elan seem even more dark and twisted. As they finish dinner, the kid who approached him says, yo, if you need a place to crash, you can come to my place. Dude, real the homie. Guy, yeah. Real, real homie. And he agrees. They get to the place. Joe crashes immediately. Hmm. He says, I remember waking up in a normal teenager's bedroom. I could see as the sunlight filled the room, band posters on the wall, textbooks and homework on the desk. A little lucky bamboo plant, his decoration, a clock. Said it was then that I noticed a, film, a familiar smell, and he looked out. His homie was on the fire escape balcony, and he walks out, holds out a joint to him, and says, you want to hit? He says, no, nah, today I got to focus. Thank you, though. Is there more for me? 
continues smoking and they're chilling, just sitting out there, listening to the sounds of the city. Sounds like Alon is working on him, dude. Held him out, you know? <laughs> Help yeah. him say no. Yeah, he said he actually said that in some sick and twisted way. Elon <laughs> seemed like it was kind of working. Oh my gosh. Um my new homie said, Yeah, I went through some old clean clothes, pulled a pile to the side, you can have whatever you want. This is Jesus. I also have a new <laughs> toothbrush for you that you can use. Can have a shower, take as long as you want. So Joe does just that. Find some some new clothes, his own clothes. Shoelaces. Shoelaces. <laughs> yeah. He said he took a shower and it felt so good. The longest time they could stay in the shower was two minutes. All was cold. They would walk up, get a glob of body wash in their hand, mm. and then get yelled at to get in the shower now. Your timer has already started. So he just stood there, his eyes closed, head facing the shower head for as long as he could. He said it felt so freeing to be in that shower. Put on his new warm clothes, brush his teeth, and they head out the door. And dude says, all right, well, I skipped school all day yesterday, so I got to go back today. Uh, if you want, you can meet us at that place for a pizza joint for dinner. We're going to go there again. And uh, if you need a place to crash again, you can come back. My dad said it's okay. Joe said it blew his mind that selfless kindness exists. Joe wanted to learn some more. So he went back to the public library, found more books on cults. Wanted to know more about what happened in the lawn, what happened to me. That whole day, he kept his head buried in books, which he thoroughly enjoyed. He read and learned for the first time about Stockholm Syndrome, the Milgram Shock Experiment, and the Stanford mm, Prison yeah. Experiment. Talked about how all of those lasted days, some weeks. Thought about, he said, as I write this comic now and I look, the lawn lasted 41 years. That's wild. He said at the end of reading all of this, he realized the day was light. It's time for dinner. Hmm. I'm going to go meet up with my friends, have some pizza. Dude, I'm so happy for Joe. Yeah. <laughs> for real. He said, Ilan is over. I had a plan going forward. So I'm going to spend a few days here in the city working out the details. But ultimately, I'd get in touch with my sister tomorrow. Uh, she'd wire me some money maybe, get a bus ticket back home. I knew I needed to avoid my parents. That much was clear. I'd seen other Ilan runaways get sent back. Too many times to even play with the idea. PMB not being locked up was great luck. They'd helped me, and I knew that for a fact that I could trust them. Once I got back to my hometown, I'd have resources around me to survive. And through my sister, uh, we'd begin the process of feeding my parents researched information about what Elon really was, stuff they couldn't ignore. Of course, there were smaller details to worry about, but this plan seemed to cover the big ones. And it made me happy to know that I would never step another foot into that hell on earth. It was over. I'm still not convinced, dude. I 100% have trust issues with everyone after this. <laughs> I mean, it would be tough to even talk to my sister. Like, as she picked up the phone, I was still like, no, someone's behind her feeding her information. In the back of your That's head. how I felt the whole time. Even though, obviously, I didn't want to believe it. Like, I want there to be a way out. I want to believe my sister. I want to believe these kids who took me out. Let me crash at their place. This dude who drove me down here. But just after trial and error, Ilan, I can't trust people. That's I, This is the first story that I've read 
where I felt the PTSD that he was feeling or had, mm-hmm. you know, uh, which is such a great reason why you should read the comic. But yeah, Joe uh, finishes for the day and he goes and uh, he's headed towards the pizza joint to get dinner with his friends. And he hears, bitch. He gets knocked and he vaguely remembers being pulled into a van. And he remembers looking outside what he could see through the van window. Signs. New York City. Boston. Welcome to Maine. I don't believe you, dude. And the rest of that story I'll be sharing next episode. Damn hell, dude. I feel assaulted by you right now. <laughs> I feel like you owe us an apology right now. I want to call my mom. I want to tell on you to your mom. I'm not okay. I don't believe dude. you, dude. I don't believe you, dude. Let me show you that part of the comic. The style. Like how he visually yeah. does that. The style of this whole thing. Do you want to? Can we pull up here? So the whole style is black, white, and red. It's so sick. Yeah. Scroll through that really quick, like really quickly. Keep going. There you go. That's what I was just reading. PMB not being locked up. Once I got to my hometown. Of course, there were smaller details to worry about, but this plan seemed to cover the big ones. It was over. I'd live happily ever after. Learn from the experience. And I'd have a new mission. Hey, bitch. Or oh, no. how the hell did they find him in New York City? I know it's not known for being a small place. Did they track the pizza? Because it was right outside the pizza place. Can they even do that? Did they put a tracker in him? I don't know. It's a visually appealing comic. Uh-huh. Like scrolling through that on your phone is fun, dude. Yeah. Reading the whole thing is a trip. Dude, I'm going to go look at it now. It's cool. I won't look past, but I will look. I hate it. <laughs> I, hate I, I hate it and love it, but it's, uh, dude, Joe as a writer, so good at telling this story. He Too is, dude. He wasn't yeah. good as running away. <laughs> Dude, I am flabbergasted. Like, how the hell did they find him? I was that whole this whole part. Like I said, I've been doing it in fifteen chapter increments. So this this one is part three, thirty to forty five chapters, thirty to forty five, and all fifteen of those chapters were about like him being gone. Mm. And it felt I really started feeling like even though I had trust issues, like the way he talked about being in the city and seeing people and having a sense of normalcy again. Mm-hmm. Felt good. And then at the end, I can't believe I thought I thought it was done. Yeah. I thought he like the it was done. And he'd go into like where he is today. I did too. I was like, okay, this is crazy. Yeah. Now we'll get to see how you like yeah. brought Elon down or yeah. help people out. Yeah. Part one that I shared was him getting there, two, him suffering there, and three, getting out. But the first two parts just felt so long and I just wanted to get out. And you finally get out and then now we're back. It's like you get out it's, for a breath of air and then someone surreal. shoves your head down. It's even worse. It's like, don't keep torturing me. Just let me die already. Yeah. It feels like. Oh. But 
That's me tonight. Cheese Louise. Thanks for indulging me. I know it's been long. I'm emotionally drained, bro. I'm drained from it too. Every every time I read this Man, story. I'm so hungry. <laughs> give me some pizza. I know. Those New York slices, dollar slices. My mouth was watering. <sighs> All right. Thanks, my dude. You are very welcome. I will close this out. Sean's not thankful. I hate everything. When he left, he was like, yo, my cousin's in Latin King, so you better watch out. Something like that. But it, There's like a lot of subtle details that add anxiety, other details that make you feel a little better, mm. like him being in the city and... Dude, I'm going I'm to go, readapt. go read tonight. I don't understand how they find him in the city. Bro. I understand. I, I'm really hoping they – he's tied off all the loose ends so far in the story. Um, like questions that I've had in part one, he answered in part two. So I'm hoping they he covers how they found him. The second he was on foot in New York, I was like, it's over. You cannot find someone. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I thought the last big thing was the uh, the dude in the van. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You getting touched or returned? Oh, man. (laughs) That dude in the van had me tripping reading that. Pulled the door. Yeah. No, you did it it well. (laughs) I was, I was, yeah. I tried hard to uh, convey that the way he did in the comic. Dude, crazy. All right. I'm going to attempt to (laughs) get over that and share something. I'm having fun. All right. So I had. Big thing planned. Not big thing. I had a couple stories planned. Big thing. I'm going to cut all of them and just share a short one. Go. Give me, don't look real quick. I'm going to give me a That's second. how uh, growing up, my great grandma I was really close with. She passed away when I was uh, 12. Uh-huh. She lived, uh, when I had turned like five, she moved to like her own apartment mm-hmm. until she passed away. But every time she would come, she'd come like once a week to come visit us. Hmm. She pulled up with her car. And that's how she would always call us. She'd get out of her car. She'd do that same whistle that you did. Oh. <laughs> she'd do that a couple times and it's like tutus here. Oh, so happy. I don't like that whistle. So in the, <laughs> in the story, he said it was a uh, almost playful whistle. And so that's what I tried to go for. Yeah. But – it just seems creepy to me. Yeah. No, I can, I, I get that. Um, at least it wasn't out. <laughs> that would have been a whole different story. <laughs> nice. Been like, yo, what's up? Okay, first I'm just going to share a quick video. Mm, nice. Tell me what you think. Feel free to commentate or whatever. Okay, it looks like a city street or like a back alley. There's a black cat. I assume this is the Middle East. It's walking into the corner somewhere. I've seen this. What the hell? It started a fire. Did the cat start the fire? Yes. There was a replay right there. Just like the cat like stops, peers into a corner. There's like a little pile of rubbish and it just stares at it for a minute. And then a flame grows in the middle of the rubble and the cat like 
looks at it and then turns around and walks away. <laughs> what the hell is going on here, dude? That's black magic, bro. For real. The thing is, if you finish the video, people don't attend to the fire for like 30 seconds. People see it, but they don't do anything <laughs> about like, it. Chill. For like at least 30 seconds when it's grown big. The two dudes talking in the bottom of the screen. They don't notice until like, it's big. No, they notice. They just don't do anything. Finally, when it grows big, the two dudes are like, yeah, maybe we should do something about that. And then go. This is, uh, the epitome of zero Fs, bro. Dude, wild. Okay, so that video has nothing to do with what I'm going to share tonight. <laughs> wow. So buckle up, everyone. That Lebanese live leak. Because uh... we are headed to... They may take our lives, <laughs> but they cannot take our, our freedom. freedom. <laughs> Thank you. We're going to Scotland. We're going to Scotland. <laughs> All right. So I was, I got a story that I'll share next episode from a friend of the podcast. It takes place in Scotland. But in researching, I just wanted to like look into the background, into the lore. And I found a couple of stories about Scotland. And one of them stuck out to me. I really enjoyed it. All right. So we're going all the way back to September 1954. Okay. In Glasgow. So it's like a small village. I think a lot of people know each other. Um, The kids all go to school. Parents like work, do separate things, you know, do their thing, their daily life. Mm -hmm. When the community is shook because of the killing of two young boys. Now these two murders... I mean, people die all the time, especially back then, but these two murders are especially, wait, especially crazy because rumors get out that the guy who did it viciously tore them apart and ate their bodies. So the whole community is concerned. Parents are concerned. The authorities are concerned. And I think most of all, the kids are like hysterical. Like the, the, it spreads like wildfire. That's all they're talking about at school. That's all they're talking about after school. More and more kids disappear and more and more stories and sightings of the person that's doing it. Some of his characteristics are he has fangs for teeth made out of iron. He's creepy and gaunt. And the scariest one to me is he is seven feet tall. <laughs> nope. <laughs> so, whole community together. Yeah, dude. Community's terrified. Kids are terrified. And now, the story is there is a vampire in Glasgow, and he's killing kids and wow. eating them. Parents don't know what to do. Teachers are there. Te- like they can't teach. The kids are not paying attention. It's literally all they're talking about. Authorities don't know what to do. And they're like, we need to calm these kids down. And the kids get together and they decide this has to end. Some Goonies type. Dude. (laughs) Oh, I didn't talk about Goonies. Uh, What what about? When I was in Portland, we went to a beach and I walked up and there's a plaque and it's like, 
super memorable parts of the Goonies were filmed here. And I start looking around and I'm like, oh my gosh, the Fratelli's, the, the restaurant is right there. And I was like, and that's where Mikey holds up the little, the, the bloom and the holes line up to the, oh, so I was yeah. like, I was geeking, bro. <laughs> they also filmed Twilight, scenes of Twilight there. And I was equally geeking. <laughs> Not the point. Kids are like, we gotta, we gotta take care of this vampire. <laughs> School bell rings. All the kids meet in the in the playground. All of the kids. It, the story says hundreds of kids of all ages, ranging ranging from young to like eighteen. Bro, you ever do that as kids? Like rally for something? Like big group one? meeting? Not that I can think like of. To Did play you? a game. I I feel like I have. Like whether it's to play like a big game of tag or hide and go seek, but it's so funny how. Like, kids can be organized, yeah. dude, and, like, think things out. Yeah. I also feel like that would be one of the easiest places to take one. Take a kid? Yeah. Oh, they just all get together in one spot, and the guy's like, <laughs> yeah, buffet? Yeah. Well, they do think it out, and they do plan. And on that playground that day, they decide they are going to take care of this vampire. And they all go home. They go to their house. They go to their kitchen. They go to their farmhouse. They go to their shed. And every kid grabs knives, clubs, <laughs> crosses, chains, anything they can find. Claymores. And they meet back at the playground. And where the disappearances were, where it's kind of like downtown. I, I think they call it like Necropolis or something. There's like a specific part of town. It's so a great name. Over a hundred kids. All just march downtown. They start walking down alleys, walking up alleys, walking down streets, walking up streets. And the sun starts to set. That's why he's not out, because it's daytime. That's what they think. And where would a vampire hang out? The graveyard. So they decide, we're going to the graveyard. As they step across the threshold in the graveyard, the sun is completely down. It's dark. Fog has rolled in. And these kids are marching up and down the tombstones. Off in the distance, they see a silhouette, a tall silhouette in the fog. And the kids look at each other and they're like, it's time. And they all sprint at the silhouette in the fog, raising their knives, raising their crosses, and they get up to it. And it's not him. It's just a random like person out walking. Dude, that and person say, probably okay. themselves. They look around, they see another silhouette, they sprint at it. Just another person. But these kids are down. They're ready to kill this vampire. <laughs> and they do this late into the night until it starts to rain. And one by one, they start saying, oh, I need to go home. <laughs> Eventually, they all go home. But they do this. Like, we didn't plan about the rain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> Never rains a in Europe. vampire. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> these are not great fighting conditions. Can't do this. They do this march for three nights in a row, and they find nothing. After the third night, their dedication starts to wane. No other kids have turned up dead, and they kind of they just stop. To this day, that legend is pretty like strong there, and no one knows what actually killed those kids. No one knows if it was just a man or a vampire or, you know what I mean, or even just a rumor. 
but it is known today as okay how do you pronounce this bro g-o-r-b-a-i-s garbo garbo garbos garbos g-a-r-b-o-s no g-a-r-b-a-i-s oh and also it's scottish garbice ricky gerbice <laughs> it's known as the gerbice vampire to this day no one knows but i just loved the story and i, I had like images of like dusty outlines on walls of crosses and parents coming home and be like what the hell and all these kids are like carrying their family cross and knives and clubs <laughs> and marching out dude that's a great movie yeah that's a great like scott pilgrim oh i know who you're talking about i can't remember hot fuzz name. baby Just that driver style, like, <laughs> yeah 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 funny yeah bloody yeah <laughs> action-packed witty dark touching yeah <laughs> Dude, the, the, dude, that's hilarious. They were down, dude. They were down. They rushed silhouette. What age like, ready. were these kids? Does it it said young to like adult. So it was like, I'd assume like first, second grade to. Bro. Yeah. There were just high school. Over 100 kids. Yeah. K to 12. Yeah, pulling maybe. up. <laughs> Rep your set. That'd be so terrifying if you were just out like walking at night and 100 kids come running at you with knives. You're like, yo. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's just one. There's a lot of folklore in, in Scotland. There's a lot of cryptids. There's shapeshifters. It's kind of creepy. Some of the parallels. There's Kelpies. There's. Is Scotland like the, the South Selkies of UK? Not geographically. I was going to say. But like the, north. the South of the US. Like where it lines up? No, like culturally and. Oh, I don't know. I don't know if you can draw a parallel. Depends on, yeah, like what kind of parallel you're trying to Do you mean you're just more like rural and rustic? Yeah. Well, yeah, that that would be the case. Hmm. Thicker accents and just kind of wild stuff out in the country. Glasgow. Well, yeah, you have just tons and tons of like land with nothing on it. Hmm. Anyway. Okay, one last short one. Okay, go. <laughs> this is another one of the ones I was going to share. All right. In the cove of Grenon, near the cliffs of Claynard Bay, near Stranraer, Scotland. <laughs> That's perfect pronunciation. Anyway, in this per, uh, specific part of Scotland, there is a massive cave system. All the locals do not go in the caves. And this is an old folk folklore today these caves are closed off you can't get into them anywhere but back in the day you were able to get into them but no one would because of fairies and these fairies were known in the caves to try and lure you in and they would do bad things and it was kind of a nuisance i guess people were pretty concerned about it and so one guy decides he's gonna stand up and he's gonna take on the fairies so he wakes up, he gets his trusty brown dog, and he grabs his nicest set of bagpipes. And he marches to the entrance of the cave. Goes into the cave until he disappears into the dark. The sound of his dog disappears, and everyone just mm. waits. When the beautiful sounds of the bagpipe, <laughs> completely <laughs> soothing sounds, <laughs> blare out of the cave, he just starts playing. 
I don't know what his plan was. <laughs> He's just going to play so loud that the fairies leave or something. But nonetheless, he's playing. People are waiting around. He just keeps playing. <laughs> Eventually, people go away, but from town, they can hear him playing. And some people who remain behind said, in the middle of a particularly loud note, the bagpipe shuts off immediately. The sound is snuffed out. They don't hear anything. A second later, they hear scuffle, and they see movement in the cave. And out sprints a creature. The puppy. It's the farmer's dog. But it's completely hairless. <laughs> and with its hairless little tail between wag, its legs. Wag pipes. Yeah. It just takes off. And no one sees it again. Furthermore, no one ever sees that farmer ever again. No one's brave enough to go in after him, and he never comes out. And to this day, people say that you, if you like go in this certain land and you listen, you can hear bagpipes playing. And that's one of uh, Scotland's folklore, <laughs> urban legends. The end. All right, let's wrap this up. <laughs> Guys. That's a fun one as well. Thank you. I like both of those. You have more Scotland stories? I had two, three. You're Scottish too. Oh, yeah. I just found out I was Scottish. Forever, I thought I was just Irish. And then my dad took the Ancestry.com and I was like, nah, homie, you're like part Scottish too. A little bit. Yeah. A little so. bit of everything. Also, I do have an Ancestry kit and I have yet to take it, but I'm excited to take it and kind of find out what <laughs> jokes I can really get away with. <laughs> So. What cards you have in your hand? Yeah. <laughs> Ooh. What privileges I might or might not have. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I'm excited. I haven't taken it because of stress and anxiety. I don't know why. I don't want to mess it up. I've read the instructions a couple times. <laughs> I'm too afraid to do it. <laughs> I like need a nurse there or something. Anyway, that's me tonight. Thank you. Fun, fun, fun. Ooh, it's been a long night, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. Thank Patrons. You. Oh. You got a two-story episode coming for you this week. So look out for that. Hey, yo. Um, everyone else, subscribe to our Patreon. If you want to support us, throw a couple bucks our way per month. Uh, it really, really, really does help. So we'd love to have you there. You'll get an extra story every week. So check the link in our bio to subscribe. Other than that, you guys have anything? Nope. Nope. Thank you, everyone. We're a little tired, but happy to be back. Feels good to be here. Trust your gut and watch your back. Bye. Love you. Be safe. Be careful out there. Hey, hey, thank you so much for tuning into this episode of 3 a.m. If you want to support us, visit our Patreon where patrons have access to exclusive content. If you're not able to support us monetarily, don't worry. This episode is on us. You can still rate and review us on whatever platform you listen to us on. It really does go a long way. You can also follow us on social media. Our handle everywhere, including Patreon, is the 3AM Pod. Finally, do you have any scary stories? If so, submit them to our website, the3ampodcast.com. We love any audio or visual aids that can help bring your stories to life. 
so file uploads are welcome with your written submissions. We're anxious and excited to hear from you. Hi, this is Amy and Vanessa from She Goes by Jane, where we shine light on the stories of missing and unidentified women. On November 7th, we're sharing Nahida's story for the first time in a podcast. And this is a story that I thought I knew, but after reading police reports, became more complicated than I thought. When investigators are called to Nahida Khatib's house, everything looks fine. Her purse is on the kitchen table, her cup of coffee is on the counter, and her two-year-old niece is in her playpen. The only thing amiss? Nahida is missing. Every week, we feature a poem written in honor of the person we're talking about. This week, we're joined by one of our favorite actresses. You might know her from Sister Act or King of the Hill or The Descendants. But if you're like us, you'll know her from Hocus Pocus. She's the much-beloved Kathy Najimy. Join us November 7th to hear Nahida's story. Ohio is a land of mystery. From missing shipwrecks and lost treasure beneath her surface to strange phenomenon slicing through her skies. From myths that have evolved around historic events and people, to the unsolved murders and disappearances that keep her communities wondering what happened. Find Ohio Mysteries on your favorite podcast app, and let's explore the inexplicable. OhioMysteries.com Ohio Mysteries.com